It's in Canberra, of the Prime Minister. Nice place, eh? It's his official residence, number five, Adelaide Avenue, in the suburb of Deakin. Okay, just a short walk from Parliament House. It's one of his two official houses. The other's in Sydney. Now, could you imagine going up to the lodge, knocking on the door, and then uh, our, our Prime Minister, Scott, um, opens the door and says, Hiya, bud. Come on in. Let's hang out. I mean, it's just unlikely, isn't it? Has anyone ever tried that? No, no, it doesn't work in Britain either. You can't get anywhere near Downing Street. It's fenced off with armed guards. The reality is special people, people of importance, are protected, aren't they? There's all sorts of protocols that you have to go through and programs and measures in order to get anywhere near them for their safety, usually. Uh, but there's no access to them. This is a reality that we know, most of humanity knows when it comes to God. God is not accessible. You look at the religions of the world and, and what we see about how people approach God is that he's an alien, aloof being. And people go through all sorts of procedures and protocols and programs and ceremonies just to, just to get, a, get a hearing from him, just in the hope that he may respond to us. Across history, there's been some terrible things perhaps still going now. The sacrifice of children in order to get a hearing with this God who's aloof, inaccessible, disinterested, that needs bribery in order to bring him on our side. Well, the wonder of Christmas, and this is where our message is going this morning, the wonder of Christmas is that in Christianity, all of that is changed, done away with. And hey, hear, hear me right. It's not as though Christianity, or well, the history of Christianity, has always been one of open access to God. We're going to see it hasn't. In much like many religious systems of the world, Judaism, from which Christianity emerged, was equally as difficult to access God as almost any other religion. Almost equally inaccessible. And so what we're going to see this morning in Christ, how God overturns all of that in his pursuit to be in relationship with people. It's quite incredible. Quite incredible. We've got two headings. The first is this. Jesus the majesty and love of God brought near. Jesus, the majesty and love of God brought near. Begins, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I guess we're all familiar with incarnation. Not to be confused with the British carnation cream. Do you have that here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're talking about the incarnation. It, it just means the, the dwelling of God in human form or human body, the Word, another name for Jesus, the Logos, the Word, became flesh. It tells us that he existed, okay, but he became a human. Unlike any other human, I mean, this is our reality. Before we were born, there wasn't an existence for us. Jesus turns all that on his head. He comes into the world 
having already existed in a different dimension. I'll show this at Christmas. A friend uh, sent this to me an email just a couple of weeks ago. A thousand times in history, a baby has become... I'll start again. A thousand times in history, a baby has become a king. But only once in history did a king become a baby. Can you see that? A thousand times in history, a baby has become a king. But only once in history did a king become a baby. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Jesus, the king of the world, God's son, therefore, added to what he was, what he's always been, human flesh. Here's what a commentator writes. The powerful word of God, Jesus, has been born into frail humanity. It speaks of great condescension, doesn't it? That God should do that. When I once spoke to someone about this of a different religious belief, they were disgusted, absolutely disgusted, that I would suggest that God would so humiliate himself that he would become a person. Really, I mean, look at all our restrictions. I mean, uh, we, we may dress nice and wear nice perfume to make ourselves, you know, more pleasant. But hey, we're frail, okay? We're vulnerable. And our, our bodies don't function as well as they should do, not always anyway. But God stepped into one of these, into a normal body, one that felt the new anguish, new heartache. Remember, he wept. John 11, Jesus wept real tears. He felt hunger. Remember when he fasted and prayed? He felt hunger. He felt the, the, the pain of bereavement, of being persecuted, of being hounded. So it's into this that Jesus enters. The word became flesh. Now, as, as we move on in, in John 1, verse 14, look, I'm sure we're aware the Bible's come to us. What are the two? Okay, let me uh, look. The two primary languages of the Bible, Hebrew, Old Testament, Greek, New Testament, with a tiny bit of Aramaic thrown into the old. Look, here's some Hebrew texts and some Greek texts, which means whenever you're doing translation, look, like, I get this all the time. I do English like they do back in the, in the, in the real place. Okay, now, it's what you can't understand me, because things don't always translate well, do they? Across boundaries, across language at least. In a, in a real scenario, when you're trying to translate Hebrew or Greek words into English or whatever the language, something's always lost in translation. You don't quite capture the whole thing. So here too, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If you're reading an IV like I am, that's how it comes. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It seems less consequential, read like that. Red in its original, okay, has, has a whole different tone. Here's the word. The word for dwelling is skenu, there, the Greek word, okay. It means, here's its meaning, to have one's tent or dwelling, okay. To have one's tent. If you're thinking of tents, I'm going to throw this out, okay. You're a Jew. You're thinking of tent. And Jesus is a tent, we're told. He made his tent. He made his presence Amongst us, what are you thinking? Jesus, tent. 
and you're, of a, you're a Jew of the old covenant. You're thinking, you're thinking, when you think of tent, what is the one tent that's in the mind of every Jew? The tabernacle, thank you. It is the tabernacle. It's, it's where God's presence dwells. And so can you see, read properly, and remember that by this time the, the, the Jews were reading their Old Testament, not in, not in either Aramaic or Hebrew, they were reading it in Greek. They were even reading the Old Testament in Greek, as well as receiving the New Testament in Greek. So as they read it, they too would have seen this connection. The Word became flesh, okay, and made his tabernacle amongst us, or tabernacled with us. It's not a secret, I enjoy watching films. Um, I remember one of the early ones as a teenager, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You guys seen that? Harrison Ford? Yeah, it's an old one now. It comes on a, a British uh, Christmas TV every year. Uh, okay, almost. So look, he's after this, uh, uh, the ark. He goes looking for it. He almost dies trying to find it. Eventually gets it. It's only when I became a Christian that I realized that the ark is a real thing. It's, it's not a legend. It's the ark of the covenant. It's symbolizes God's presence. It has two golden cherubim sitting on top with outstretched wings and their wings meet in the middle. That ark sits in the tent in that location there. Okay, the tabernacle is, is this whole structure. It has this tent thing in the middle. It has two parts to it. The holy of holies is the most inner holy part. It has there this gold structure. That is the ark. It symbolizes God's presence, okay? Once a year, okay, on a day of atonement, the, the, the high priest would make, make atonement for himself, go in there with the blood to sprinkle it there to make atonement for the people, to, to have their sins dealt with. So that moment is what that, that white beam is, is conveying, that the presence of God comes and dwells there, receives the sacrifice, accepts uh, the people that, he, that, that, that he's uh, reaching out to. The tabernacle was the place where God's presence was brought near to humanity, but only through structures and only for one person effectively. And so when we read that Jesus, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us, can you see what, what is being said here, what John is writing? It's absolutely revolutionary. That Jesus is amongst us, tabernacling with us. Here's what Matthew 1 says as the angel speaks to Mary. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel. He's quoted in the Old Testament. They shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us, tabernacled with us. Can you see what's going on here? This is the presence of God breaking out, reaching out, coming to us. It's, it's why when Jesus spoke, he was teaching his disciples, John 14, you remember, I think it's Philip, 
her asked, you know, she just shows the father. Jesus has been with them all this time, and they, who they really want to see is what God's like, and they haven't quite put two and two to get two and two together. And so Jesus has to say to them these words. The next slide, please. He says to them, "Have I been with you?" Um, if I may, just have the next slide. Thank you. Look, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, "Show us the Father"? Don't you get it? I've been with you all this time and you still don't get it. I'm not an envoy from the Father. Okay? You know, I, you know I'm not another religious man or even a high prophet. Don't you understand that I and the Father are one? To have me in your presence is to have my Father. That we are so one in purpose, in substance, is what makes him this one God. It's not just in purpose. We can be one in purpose with God to some degree, but it doesn't make us God. What makes Jesus God is, is, is one in purpose, and is what we know the human can possess, is one in substance. He is God. And so to know him, to be him, to be in his presence, is to be in the presence of God. In fact, to have him is, is not being shortchanged. You know, as a pastor, I obviously you know, generally work in a leadership team or an eldership. You know, and, and, and sometimes as a part of that eldership, well, the elders may visit some of the congregation in my stead as a part of that work. Sometimes congregation members can feel that they're getting shortchanged. You know, it's not quite the pastor, it's, it's, one, you know, it's someone on his behalf. Although that isn't the case, it can feel like that. When Jesus comes representing God, you're not getting a less than God, number two. You're getting everything that God is. The fullness of God, as though God himself was present, because Jesus represents him and is him in one substance. And so the tabernacle, Jesus being the tabernacle, is conveying this truth to us, friends, that God's presence now has come to humankind. Luke 2. Listen to this. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Can you see what that's telling us about how accessible this presence will be? We said a couple of Sundays ago, that this made it possible for outcasts, the unclean, like shepherds, to access God. And I think the point being conveyed is, is if they can access God, so can we. So the presence of God is now accessible to all. If we continue, we've seen his glory, John writes. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father. There's only one glory. There's a glory associated in the Old Testament. There's the glory of God. And here's John saying, we have seen the glory of God. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. We have seen what was previously invisible, previously inaccessible, has been made real and known. It's Jesus. Jesus is all that God is in speech, in conduct, in essence, in person. You see, here's what he tells us. I'm going to develop it in the second point. Whatever religion there may be out there that defines ways of accessing the divine, 
Christianity trumps them all. Because in Christianity, God doesn't wait for us to find him or access him through all the mechanisms that may be out there. Rather, he breaks out. You know, you know when the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two? Okay, it wasn't just to give us access to God. What's the reverse of that? When the curtain was torn in two, top to bottom, it was God breaking out of the confinement, of the inaccessibility. It, it's, it's God saying, I'm getting out of here. I'm, I'm going to go out to the people. You know what it's like when a politician does that? It makes an impact, doesn't it, when they leave their lodge or whatever else it may be and walk amongst the crowd. The only time they do it in the UK is election time normally when they want people's support. Okay, but it makes an impact. God breaks out, comes to us, makes himself accessible. Jesus, the majesty and love of God brought near. Second point, and we'll draw, we'll develop the first point in the second a bit further. Jesus, a new era of grace and truth unveiled Jesus a new era of grace and truth unveiled a little little more complicated as we try to unpack some something of what's being said here and again not so clear once translated into English from the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another verse 17 for the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, so here's what's been said. There's an inauguration of a new era. Can you see that? For the fullness of his grace we receive one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth through Jesus Christ. The issue here is trying to understand what one blessing after another means. So let me, look, we're trying to work through this together here. So again, in, in its original language, Greek. I think I've got some Greek there. Yeah. That's even Greek to me. <laughs> okay, so I'll read it from here. Look, so um, just some errors in, in um, getting Greek across into um, Roman numerals. Sorry. Look, so here's, here's, here's what it looks like in Greek. Karin anti karitos. Okay? Karin anti karitos. Karin and karitos, the same root word, means grace. The word anti means instead of. So it's not one blessing after another. It's rather... Grace instead of grace. That's how it's better translated, so Greek scholars say. So verse 16 reads more like this, okay? From the fullness of his grace, we've all received grace instead of grace. That's how it's meant to be understood. There's, there's, there's replacement going on. Can you see the point? We've received grace instead of grace. If I give you an apple and I come to you and say, I'm giving you a banana instead of apple, can you see what I'm doing? I'm replacing one with the other. It's what's been said here. Okay, look, we know this. I mean, give you a roll run. You drive with the church. We adhere, generally, don't we, by speed limits. If you see a big uh, a circle with a red ring around it and it says, it says 50, well, if it says 60, you go 60. Not MPH, KPH. It's important to remember if you're uh, crossing continents, okay? <laughs> right, so 
you know, if you drum down the road and it's, it's 60 k kph, and then next week it's now a 50 because the road laws have changed and that can happen, can't it? What do you have to do? You have to now swap your driving style. When you're now going down the road, because what you're now doing 50, because the 50 is instead of the 60. Can you see the point? That's what's going on here. Okay, John 1, 16. From the fullness of his grace, we've received grace instead of grace. A 50 kph instead of a 60. There's been a change, a transformation. And it's not just merely tweaking. When we go from old to new, we're not just tweaking the law system. We're not just tweaking how we access God. Okay? There's absolutely no similarity between going to a temple with your lamb and having it sacrificed on your behalf by a priest who can only access God but do all the right things to himself. There's no similarity between that and this. I can't smell any pigs. Well, I nearly said pigs. That would never work. I can't smell any lambs. Any pigeons. That there's no exchange where you can change your coins. There's no smoke going up on the fire. Can you see? We know, don't we? There's been cataclysmic change between the old and new covenants. And that's the point here. We're not just tweaking how you access God. How we access God has been transformed entirely. See, the old covenant was a grace system. Because before the old covenant, there was no way to access the divine. There's no way. He was alien to all humanity. So the old covenant was a grace gift to the Jewish people. It enabled them through rigmarole and strenuous processes and protocols. And the whole thing stunk. But it did enable them to access the divine. It was a grace gift. But now we're having that grace gift replaced by another grace gift, but not of equal value. And that's what verse 17 is saying there, you see. The point of verse 17 is, is that it's not of equal value. It's one grace gift by another, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Let me, Matthew 5. Matthew 5, here's what Jesus says. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, the old covenant. He hasn't come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Whatever purpose that old grace covenant had comes to its completion and fullness in Jesus. The law came through Moses. But in Jesus, when he comes, he brings an entire new era and principle for relating to God. Look, we did this in Galatians, and you're going to listen to the Galatians videos online, so I won't do a lot of detail, but to give it to you in brief. Okay, The old covenant was a covenant of grace, but it had all kinds of restrictions for accessing God. The new covenant, a covenant of grace, but a better covenant. Who brings the new? I mean, look, the old one was brought by a guy called Moses, kind of okay kind of chap. But the new one is brought by Jesus, God himself. It's a better covenant, okay, built on an entire different basis, with an entirely different program. This one, this one comes as, as an initiation, as a consequence of God. He's behind it. He does it. 
Listen to this, John 3, 16. I know it's the most famous verse in the Bible, but listen, listen again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He brings it about. And in this covenant, in this covenant, our relationship with God is transformed. No longer tied to someone else worshipping for us, now tied to our own worship. No longer by obstacles in our way, but free access. No longer not knowing or falling, rather, it's a better way, no longer falling out of relationship. You see, you handed your, your sheep in or your goat or whatever else it may be and, and it was sacrificed for you, but then you went away and what did you do in, inevitably, instantly? Sin again. But that lamb only covered the sins to date. And so you're already guilty. No sooner had you walked away, you were dirty again. You needed cleansing again. You were out of sorts again. Can you see the point? That, that, that it was imperfect in that sense. But the new one, the new one is a sacrifice made, not by ourselves but on our behalf, but a sacrifice that has ongoing, perpetual, eternal benefit. Listen and listen to, to, to its concreteness. John 5, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Can you see what this one does? It, it, it makes for a continual cleansing experience, a never-ending one. With this one, we don't just walk away out of a worship service and at the first sign of sin, get defiled all over again and need re-cleansing. It doesn't work like that. This one has an ongoing effect of continual cleansing and leaves you with a, with a, with a concrete hope that whatever happens beyond those doors once we leave, doesn't change our standing before God. It can never change our standing before God. It's an eternal, it, it, it's of eternal value and consequence. Jesus can promise and guarantee eternal life, can use words of this strength. Whoever believes has eternal life, not is getting it, has will not be condemned, may not, it's not may not, will not, has crossed over from death to life. It's already occurred and it gives the Christian this confidence that we now live and move in relationship with God that's eternal, that is outside of ourselves and our lives and our experiences and that's anchored in God himself and the work that he's done on the cross. It gives you, as you go into 2019, 2020 even, the greatest confidence that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And the emphasis is he began the work. Christian, our salvation has always been anchored in the cross and in God's sovereignty and will always continue to be so. 
want to give you an illustration. I think I may have used it before. Just to conclude with, two guys, the same guy, two different days. First guy, first picture, please, Denise. First guy, first picture. Okay, so he wakes up, having a terrible day, wakes up late, his alarm clock uh, didn't get him up. He jumps into his car, his car goes five minutes down the road, stops, he's in, in, in turmoil, he's screaming on the phone, has someone to help him. He finally gets to work. He's way late for work. His boss has a go at him. His computer won't work properly. He's pulling his hair out. He snaps at his colleague, gets to the end of the day, has a miserable journey home. His dinner gets overcooked in the microwave. Okay, he sits down at the end of the day, has a thought about God, a thought about reading the Bible, and a thought about praying, and... He feels so miserable and so alienated from God, so distant from him because the terrible, sinful days had. He can barely say a word of prayer before he closes his eyes and sleeps. Another day, same guy. Okay, wakes up. It's, it's bright sunshine. The alarm, he didn't need the alarm clock that morning. He got up an hour before. Feeling great, goes for a jog, feeling energetic, has a shower, jumps into his car. He can put the hood down because the sun's shining. He's cruising away. Wrong, wrong side of the road, obviously. But, uh, we'll forget. He, he, and he's coming towards the corner. <laughs> okay. Ignore. <laughs> okay yeah. Ignore that, right? Okay. So. He's cruising down the road. He gets to work. He's early. Okay, he's early. His boss thinks he's great. He offers him a promotion, right? His computer's fine today. Okay, he speaks nicely to everyone he encounters. Okay, goes hand buzzing. Get, get, he gets to go home early. He misses all the traffic. Okay, goes in and he eats out tonight at the restaurant. Celebrates his promotion. Okay, goes home. He's feeling great about himself gets out of his Bible and reads five chapters, not four of the marathon, but five, one extra for good measure, and prays for 27 and a half minutes. He can't stop himself. He's so in tune with God, so excited, so peace, and sleeps like a baby. Which of those illustrations is inappropriate or wrong? The first or second? The first or second? They're both absolutely wrong. Both. We don't access God, have peace with God, a healing with Him. A right to pray, a right to read, a right to feel good about where we stand on God based on Do you see the point? It's not about the kind of day you've had. It's not about how many sins you haven't committed. It's not about how good you feel with God that day or how bad. But it's based. On Jesus' cross. And it's done. It's done. It's done. It's sealed. It's won. It's yours. 
If you believe in him, says Jesus, with all your heart, you have eternal life. You access him every day. He's accessible to you wherever and whenever, whatever's going on. You're never, ever too guilty or sinful to worship Jesus. Never. Don't ever let that keep you from God. You're never good enough for him either. But you always have access to him. Always. I'll leave you with this verse. Romans 8. Christian, hear this. Take it to heart. Here's your new year. Well, there's a new year message coming, but here's a verse for the new year. Romans 8, 38. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear that? Nothing, but nothing, but nothing can come between you and Jesus. Because of his cross. Because of his cross. Hold on to that. Take that with you. It's not a license to be stupid and silly and sinful. But it's a confidence. That he loves you. He's bought your salvation. And he will always. On the merits of that. Be in relationship with you.